Thursday, February 7th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill joining you in studio today from Motley Fool Pro and Motley Fool Options, Jeff Fisher and Nick Crow. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Chris. And historic appearance by Nick Crow. For long-time listeners, I, I'm just going to give a, just a little bit of background for our dozens of listeners. Nick Crow, part of, of the Pro and Options team with Jeff Fisher, who we've had on the show before, and Brian Hinman, who we've had on the show before. Jim Gillies, who has come down from Canada. Many times. We've relaxed our border patrol to let Jim Gillies into the country. And it took basically a year, a year and a half of browbeating to convince Nick to come in here. Is you made f- me promise over the holidays, like as your Christmas present, to come in. Come in point. once a quarter. So we're going to wrap up the week <laughs> with a round of undervalued, overvalued. Uh, and we haven't done this in a while, but uh, for, for newer listeners, this is when the guys just come to the table with stocks that they think are undervalued or overvalued. Let's start with the undervalued. Jeff Fisher, what do you got? Okay, so there is going to be a time in our lifetimes, and maybe very soon, where we use our voice to do almost everything. Turn on the coffee pot, turn on the oven. I love it already. TV. Yeah, exactly. And our hands are, and arms are going to wither up, and we may come to resemble fish or seals eventually. Because all, our, te- an image. all <laughs> of our technology will be driven by voice. So my, my undervalued, potentially, is Nuance Communications. The ticker is N-U-A-N. Okay. And for uh, avid Fool lovers who are members of Rule Breakers or Supernova, it is a selection in those two services. This is the company behind Siri, isn't it? It, it supposedly yes, and no one will admit to that, but for privacy reasons. But yes, it is widely believed they drive Siri, which is a, a plus and a minus, uh, depending on how you. Look I don't at have it. Siri on my phone. I Siri don't... frustrates me to no end. Does she? She doesn't listen very well. <laughs> But, uh, but are you talking wor- about fish and small arms? <laughs> but they're working on it. They are working on it. N- Nuance Communications provides voice uh, dictation, text to uh, any anything to turn your voice into a command or a message, or or increasingly drive your car. Well, not drive it, but control uh, various things in your car. And uh, they are growing rapidly, double digits. Uh, and I think uh, trading at 11 times estimated earnings for the year ahead. So shares are down quite a bit recently, and I think there may be a, an opportunity here. If they are, if this universe is going to expand this much, and I believe you when I when you say that we're that our only arms will no no off. not so much on the, the arms will wither and will <laughs> resemble fish, but the whole notion that many more things will become voice command. I I, I buy into that. That being the case, they can't be the only company competing in this space. Who is their number one competitor? Who keeps Nuance up at night? You know, it's evolving so rapidly, but I would I would say Google would be their one of their largest risks, and the the carriers, uh, AT and T and Sprint and what if they were to get together and try to uh, put an offering in this space, that that could have some staying power. But I I doubt that'll actually happen. So it would be Google, someone well-capitalized like Google. But right now, the, what draws me to nuance is there is no clear competitor, and they operate in four divisions. They are consumer and mobile, and they have customers, everyone from Mercedes-Benz to Garmin to Audi to, uh, I think, Bose or uh, other uh, electronics manufacturers, Sony. All these kind of, of brand names are using them, and they're now selling their products on a license basis too and, and per use. Uh, so not just selling the software, but uh, every time you use it, you'll pay. And they also have a very large business in the medical and healthcare uh, uh, industry, where doctors use it to dictate uh, 
what they're saying and keep a record of it with their patients as well. Okay, as long as that's all they're doing. Because if if it's just using voice command to turn on my coffee pot, that's fine. But if the doctor is using voice commands to, like, operate instruments, that's going to make me nervous. I don't know, Chris. You've got a great voice. You might have a competitive advantage in using this technology (laughs) in the future. So They also, they're a leader in... Nick Crow sucking up to the host. (laughs) It's always a good strategy. He should on his debut. And, uh, and and we all love it or hate it. Sometimes it works really well lately. They are a leader in enterprise solutions where when you call yep. and you you get everything done through a, a voice instead of a person. Nick Crow, what do you got for an undervalued stock? Undervalued to me was an easy decision. AIG. Everyone, yeah. Yeah, the company people love to hate. And, and why not after $182 billion bailout from uh, U.S. taxpayers? Uh, it saved the financial system and, you know, their sins uh, maybe not been forgiven, but they're asking for forgiveness and saying thank you uh, on lots of different ad campaigns, which have been more or less uh, poorly received. But that doesn't really matter because this company is so cheap, and that's what you ask for, most undervalued stock. It's trading at probably 0.6 times their tangible book value, which a book value share comes in about 69 bucks, and they're trading at $39 right now. Wow. So for us, what that means for an investor is if they return to, say, even a 10% return on equity, they could be earning you know, almost 20% annualized returns on this thing if they can maintain that level of you know, ROE once getting their uh, underwriting in line. And I think they are getting their underlining. Uh, I, we had talked about it recently that AIG had just uh, sold some division. And I forget what the division was, but it was something that really was not sort of in the wheelhouse of finance and banking and that sort of thing. Is that, is, is that part of your calculation as well? Not just that, wow, when I look at the balance sheet, it really seems like an undervalued stock, but also from a management standpoint, it seems like, wow, they're really trying to be more effective in the way that they deploy capital. Well, absolutely. So I really like Ben, Ben Mache. That's the, the new CEO. Well, he's been a CEO there for a while, but, but new as in post-crisis. Okay. And the company you said that they're getting rid of was uh, ILFC. Uh, the air, aircraft leasing. Yeah, yeah, That actually hurt book value when they, uh, by getting rid of it because they're selling it for less and it was carried on the books. So okay. that'll ding book value a little bit, but doesn't matter. Company's still really cheap. They'll be uh, deploying that capital maybe back into the company or paying off debt. There'll be a good return for shareholders on that. But to your point, they are focusing on their core businesses, property casualty insurance, uh, Sun America's life insurance and retirement type services. So uh, very, very, very focused now. They've been buying back a ton of shares, um, $13 billion in uh, three quarters last year. And all of that raises book value per share because they buy them back at less than book value. Yeah, Chris, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, Joe Mager loves AIG or recommends it as well. Yep. We own it in pro. And the I, calls. I own it myself. It feels a little odd to be saying this on a, uh, on a podcast to our listeners that here's a company that was the kind of the – shame of the nation a few right. years ago and now we're, we're all saying buy it but that is contrarian investing at its best uh, for all the reasons Nick just mentioned they've turned the ship around and it's still super cheap because it's so tainted Where I don't know Ben Moshe's history at all where did he come over to AIG from do you know I believe they grabbed him out of retirement but he was uh, at MetLife before a okay. CEO there and uh, very well respected the guy is he's brash and he's honest and he's the perfect guy to right the ship and really to just you know clean it out. Great. Let's move over to the overvalued stocks. Jeff Fisher, what do you got? Well, this is an <clears throat> excuse me, another company we've owned in Pro, uh, but we sold it recently. It's Bristow Group. Okay. The ticker is BRS. They lease helicopters. They own helicopters and lease them to deep uh, sea uh, oil drillers. So they fly a staff of ExxonMobil out to these rigs and, and back again. And supplies, too, I think. And supplies, they? too. Sure. Yeah. And donuts and coffee. 
I love them already. On a daily basis. So it's a really it's a good business with a lot of recurring revenue because their contracts are long term and they get paid even when they don't fly. So they don't mind a hurricane. Say they're still making some money sitting on the ground and their expenses are lower. But it's not a high returns business. Their return on equity is running around six percent. So what we did in Pro was bought it when it was below book value and sold it when it got reasonably above book value. And uh, it's kept going up. It's now around $58, $59 a share. Book value is around 43 So we'll watch it and look to buy it back in the low 40s when that happens because, again, it's a low return on equity, low returns business, period, return on capital, everything. So it's not the sort of thing you want to own as it soars higher. But, but I, I thought I'd mention it and use it as an example because I think it's a really good type of business that listeners could learn about and watch and buy right around book value like we do and then sell when it goes up above book value. Well, and this also sounds like a situation, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like this is one of those situations where your thesis played out when you bought it, meaning that you bought this fully intending to keep watch over it, thinking, oh, this is not necessarily a stock that we think is going to change the world and is going to grow forever. This is a stock that we think we can get a return of X, and when we get that, if it gets to that point in sh- in shorter order than we expect, then we're going to sell it. Exactly, Chris. And we, we tried to make uh, lemonade out, out of lemons uh, a couple of years ago. We bought it soon after the, the disaster in the Gulf. Sure. And uh, because everything was, you know, beaten down and this thing was trading below book value. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly why we bought it. Uh, Nick, what do you got for an overvalued stock out there? This one's not going to be popular to your listeners. <laughs> However, I will say that I own it and still own it, and I'm still going to tell you that it's overvalued, and that's Netflix. <laughs> it's had quite a run lately. A huge run. I mean, $81 a share gain this month alone, well, I guess year to date as we record this. So that's a huge gain, and honestly, a little bit too quickly given the competition you see. So one thing that you know, investors are very excited, they turned a profit, and they were expected to turn in a small loss. Well, they turned in a very, very small profit. They're investing heavily in their business, investing in new content, and that's really where you know, the content wars are going on. But what we are seeing is they have uh, exclusive content now. They've developed their own uh, house of cards. And yeah, it's getting great reviews. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. I, have not seen it. I don't have Netflix. But I, honestly, this is, this is the first time I've thought to myself, well, I might need to get Netflix for a couple of months just so I can just mass consume this show. Yeah, I'll send you an email with a free invite. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> So House of Cards, I'll probably watch it tonight, actually. I heard it was really good also. Um, so it'll be great. But then you see Amazon. They've announced that, like, uh, I've not seen this show, but it's very popular, Downton uh, Abbey. Downton Abbey, yeah. And so they're going to have an exclusive contract for the uh, season three and beyond on that. So what you're seeing is just huge investments by uh, very well, well-heeled uh, businesses, people with much larger cash balances and purchasing power than, than Netflix. So it's, it's a very difficult business to be in right now, and I think they're doing a, a phenomenal job. However, any misstep, the smallest misstep, and they'll be they'll be punished uh, heavily by the market. And that's why I think that they're probably overvalued right now because their price for perfection. They might do it, but it's uh, the upside downside ratio, if you will. I think is out of whack at this point. And uh, earlier investors this year, like like myself and, and many of I know uh, full subscribers, um, were smart to you know buy when everyone was against it. Now that everyone's uh, you know cheering Netflix and it's going up five percent every day. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Makes me very nervous. I just wonder when they'll have free cash flow and earnings again in, in, a, in a sizable amount that that merits a sort of valuation and the sort of uh, uh, headlines the company gets all the time. It, it's 
not near. It, it has a wide customer base, but it has tiny net income. Right. And given the the way costs keep going up, and and, and they are almost a victim of their own success. The more customers they have, the more content providers are going to demand uh, for movies. So I, I find that fascinating. But I don't have that much room to speak because I've been right and wrong on Netflix so many times that I, I don't know where I stand. <laughs> yeah, I earlier bearish. this year, you wanted to short it. And thank God we didn't. I was bearish at 300, but then I was still bearish at 57. I thumbed it down in caps. Okay. I flipped up, thumbs up at 80. So I'm right there. So, But I don't know. That's that's where I come down, really. I, it, it's... I, I, it's a fascinating thing. I owned it long ago. I haven't for a while. But you're like a guy at a racetrack, just like I, I picked winners in I the know. first and the third. I lost in the second well, you and know, the fourth. And that's it's funny because I'm so opposite that. For the most part, I own companies and I just own them for a long, long time. And to there Jeff's are certain credit, companies where I, I can't get comfortable with, and that's what it is. To Jeff's credit, he didn't put any capital behind any of those. That okay. was just you know banter across the desk, a little bit on caps. I mean, uh, exactly. You know, exactly. So that, trying to figure it out. And, and when you don't know, that's what you do. Don't, don't put your money there. Um, uh, before we wrap up, since we are talking Netflix, I'm, I'm always looking for movie recommendations, whether it's in the theater or just something that you've watched on online, on Netflix, on cable. What do you got for me, Nick? I've got two things for you, Chris. Okay. One, my favorite content that I saw on Netflix was The Wire. I think it's okay. a... I don't know. It's kind of a crime drama, super yeah. gritty. Um, Baltimore is kind of the the scene there, and uh, makes you more nervous when driving through Baltimore. Yes. And then I watched. This was a, a fool thing. Kind of people at the fool got together to watch this, and I, I wasn't able to join them, so I watched it last night. And it was a uh, Jiro dreaming of sushi. The documentary about yeah, a, documentary. about a, a, just a like a sushi master, or I'm, I'm probably not getting the term right, but basically a guy who's dedicated his life to the art of making sushi. Absolutely. And then uh, so. We have an analyst development program here, and one of the tenets that's been taught there is this idea of you know, continual improvement, of mastery, of deliberate practice. And this guy put deliberate practice to practice in sushi, and he has the best sushi in the world. And he's a little bit insane about it, quite honestly, and that's what makes it fun. <laughs> Sounds like a compelling film. Jeff, what do you got for well, me? I'm going to bring us down a few notches okay. and go old school and say Tommy Boy. Tommy <laughs> <laughs> Tom, we were talking about this before we started taping. Tom, oh, Tommy Boy is also in that category of films that I just enjoy. And if I'm channel flipping, you know, channel surfing, and I come across it, boom, I'm there. Yeah, I believe the category he said was brainless. Yeah, I, uh, on, on Amazon. Prime. I don't have to do a lot of thinking with Tommy Boy, but it is it is a it is a comedy that holds up. I will put it that I way. I hadn't seen it for years. I, I clicked into Prime, Amazon yep. Prime, and it was right there. And I, I had no choice but to watch it. And one it. of the coffee mugs I have on my desk is actually Callahan Auto Parts. Nice, it's classic. So. My wife. Did did not like it though. She doesn't um, get the humor. You know, so. it is one of those movies that yep, um, kind of a... I think it's 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 fair to make the broad sweeping statement that that guys may enjoy that on balance more than their wives. Um, you said it. I said it. <laughs> Send your angry emails to me, radio at fool dot com. Uh, uh, before we wrap up, um, Motley Fool Pro, the service, one of the services you guys work on, um, has reopened for a limited time, and I want to give you. Uh, a chance just to make sort of like a, a 20 second pitch about sort of okay, Chris, what, what Pro is all about. Pro reopens on the 14th on Valentine's Day. Yep. Thank you. And we are about making money in up, down, and sideways markets. We have a core portfolio that we hold for the long term. We use shorts and hedges to balance out volatility, and we use options to make steady income. So our goal is really to make annualized returns that are steady, recurring, and strong with less volatility. And it's a it's a great foolish, long term and short term approach. Uh, we have set up a free microsite. Uh, the address is just proacademy.fool.com. That's proacademy, all one word. 
www.fool.com. Yep, give it a look because we only open once or twice a year. Yeah, the site is up right now. I actually watched. There's a right now. There's a uh, about a two minute video from Tom Gardner, our CEO, um, talking about Motley Fool Pro and investing in general. And uh, and there's there's more sort of uh, yeah, and beyond to, that. We have to suffer viewers through. I have to. I'm sorry, not Tom. <laughs> Three more videos after that. They're each eight minutes, and I provide one or two investment ideas in each one. Uh, live, uh, real uh, trades you could make. All right, check it out. Pro Academy. Me.fool.com. Nick Crow, Jeff Fisher. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. We don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fooling. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.